A few short months after Canadians elected a minority government, the Liberals and the NDP announced they were forming a pact to keep the Liberals in power until 2025. The move, announced by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as an agreement that will provide stability, will see the NDP support the government on confidence matters. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Christopher Nardi joins me to discuss what each of the parties had to give up to formalize this pact, why it could potentially hurt the NDP in the next election, and whether it gives the Conservatives any advantages. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Chris, for listeners who maybe aren't totally up to speed on all the goings-on in Ottawa this week, what exactly is the deal that was announced by the Prime Minister early this week? So what we're seeing now this week, Dave, is a supply and confidence agreement. So essentially, it is not exactly a coalition government, though the oppositions would love you to believe that, and they will try to convince you of that, and uh, we'll talk about that later. But essentially, what the NDP and Jagmeet Singh decided to do was formalize on paper their agreement that they will support the liberal minority government up until the end of this mandate, so after the four years after the election, so 2025, on all votes that are confidence votes. So confidence votes, for those who may not know, are basically votes that if the government loses it, automatically trigger an election through a, a process, obviously. And so confidence votes are automatically any financial bill, think budgets or economic updates and statements, for example, but can also be other things like motions that the government decides are confidence votes. Essentially what the government would be doing in that case is saying, well, you know, to the House, if you break this bill, if you vote against this motion, that means that you do not have confidence in us governing the country, and thus we should go into an election. Mm -hmm. So Jagmeet Singh said, listen, we will support you on any incoming confidence votes until June 2025, the end of this parliamentary legislature. In exchange, the Liberals committed to a whole series of policy programs and promises, basically, that were fundamentally aligned with both parties' values. And so the core elements here would be a national pharmacare program and a national dental care program. But there's a whole host of other things in there that we can talk about. And with actual relatively tangible dates, too, that so that the NDP can ensure that these things actually move forward. And so that's the gist of the agreement. Basically, the NDP says we will support you and basically guarantee a quasi-majority government to the Liberals until 2025 in exchange for key parts of the NDP platform going forward and theoretically becoming law. Why exactly did the Liberals and the NDP feel that we needed it? We went through two years of a minority government, seemingly with the NDP helping prop up the Liberals. And, you know, it's been six months since the election. Why all of a sudden now do they come to the realization that, oh, we're all better off if we have this pact in place? So that's a good question. I'll tell you what the parties say the reason is, and then I'll tell you what I think it is. <laughs> so the spin, as we call it, from the Liberals and the NDP was that the House, since the first minority government was elected in 2019, has been hampered by what they call toxic hyperpartisanship. And to a certain extent, they're not wrong. Since 2019, and especially since COVID, each party, the four parties in Parliament, the main parties, have really 
in many ways become entrenched in their own values and their own core beliefs. And, and there has been a decent amount of obstruction going on on all sides honestly, of the table, particularly between the liberals and the conservatives, we can get back to that. But throughout the last couple of years, though, the liberals have mostly found a dancing partner with the federal NDP when it comes to getting bills through. It's occasionally they've signed on with the Bloc Québécois, but almost never with the conservatives. And so what Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, explained to reporters on Tuesday was that first discussions about forming this agreement began right after the 2019 election. Nothing really came of it. They were kind of on and off. And then after the 2021 election, well, they kind of started again. We'd actually started seeing some media reports about this in the news that they were these talks. They kind of fizzled. And what happened was that the trucker convoy happen. And and the discussions had already kind of begun again in January, but the trucker convoy supposedly really kind of catalyzed these discussions because of the just very deep divide that appeared between liberals, conservatives, and NDP about their views on this convoy. And, and you know, as we see this, you know, increasing polarization in, in Canadian society, well, that polarization was showing itself in the House of Commons as well. And so both parties said, well, listen, this is actually the best way for us to move forward on what they call common ground policy, right? You know, the Liberals actually voted last year against dental care as a motion from the NDP. But now they said, you know what, as the Liberals have progressively kind of tried to take hold of the NDP's left voters and kind of move left on the left spectrum during elections, well, they see an opportunity here to keep eating at that votership. But why are they doing it concretely? Well, the question I think, you know, personally is good. And I've asked Jugmeet Singh a few times, you know, why are you doing this? What could you not accomplish before just by being a minority party in a minority government that, uh, you know, that can sign up with the liberals when you need to, but also keep the leverage that you have, which is being able to vote a non-confidence motion if ever you feel that things aren't going your way. And honestly, the answer isn't as clear, Dave. And I think a part of it is that the NDP simply saw a way to push policy forward that they believe strongly in. And now their challenge is going to be to make sure that their voters and Canadians at the next election are able to differentiate what policy that the liberals have their name on, because they're the ones who table the bills, but which one of those are actually NDP wins and claim that credit. And that's going to be a challenge, Dave, because they've been really bad at that over the last couple of years. The other piece of it that uh, I've heard is that, you know, these opposition parties don't want another election right now, specifically the NDP, because it's not like they're awash in cash. And so fighting another election campaign in the near future would be devastating for them in a lot of ways. There's certainly a, an element of stability here. And, and you know, people didn't want the last election, 2021. I think that was obviously and quickly demonstrated. No one wants to go back into it, not part of the parties, not the reporters, not Canadians. And I think that was also part of the equation was just getting a sense of stability for the Liberal government. You know, a lot of people are also talking that this may be Justin Trudeau's swan song, right? He entrenches, he puts his name on a lot of big policies. He's already got those national child care agreements with almost every province and territory except for Ontario. But, you know, when that one inevitably happens, you know, he's going to have his national child care program. He's going to have technically the beginnings of a pharmacare program. He's going to have a dental care program for low-income families. That's a lot of, you know, how to say, staple programs for a person to be able to potentially leave on because in 2025, it will have been 10 years that he will have been prime minister. Not saying he did say that he intended to lead the liberal government into and past the next federal election, but 
you know, a lot of people are viewing that much more, you know, with increasing skepticism simply because it has been a long time and it's been a grueling time, mm-hmm. quite frankly, over the last couple of years, especially with COVID, then with the truckers, now war. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff to have to, you know, handle all the time. And in the meantime, what that means is that you're not actually pushing your domestic policy forward very like. I couldn't tell you what was in the 2019 platform or the 2021 platform almost because we haven't heard much about it. Why? Well, because the government's always handling another crisis and unfortunately really kind of puts your stuff aside. So for Trudeau, the benefit and for the NDP, the benefit is, well, we don't have to plan for an election so we can move forward on policy. And then by 2025, we'll, we'll be ready for one because it'll be more predictable. We'll be right back. One of the things you raised I found interesting is just the idea that in 2025, when we go to the polls, that NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, or if there's another NDP leader at that point, will have to go to voters and say, well, these are the things we fought for and we got it done by partnering with the government. On the flip side, you have the government saying, look at what we were able to accomplish. Does this hurt the NDP in the long run? And if it does, why didn't they try for kind of more influence, maybe NDP cabinet ministers, maybe an actual formal coalition government, or is just the idea that this pact is a coalition and everything but name only? That's a super interesting question. And I've kind of pondered it and spoken to a bunch of people about it over the last couple of days, mostly the idea of why didn't, as Jagmeet himself said, why didn't the NDP seek a coalition government? He said it was not offered to us. And we would not have taken it if it was. And just to make the distinction between this agreement and coalition government, basically a coalition government implies that the NDP would actually get a seat at the cabinet table. Uh, One NDP MP, presumably Singh, would become a minister. So quickly going back to your first question, which is why would he do it? Well, that's a good question. And it's going to be extremely challenging for them to really make sure that their accomplishments within this government and the platform movements that are put forward basically are really credited to them because they've been very bad at it. And I say this over the last couple of years when the COVID financial aid programs, for example, were put in place. One very good example is CERB. Everyone remembers CERB, $2,000 a month if you lost your job because of COVID, no questions asked or practically. So that was launched, I believe, in about March or April 2020. Mm -hmm. And come August, September, the program had kind of fizzled out and we were talking about renewing it. And ultimately, it did get renewed, but at just about the same values. I I forget if it was 1600 or 2000 at that point. But if you followed government, what you realized was that the liberals actually wanted to drop that amount significantly to $1,200 a month. And it was the NDP that had fought in exchange for their support on that bill. So obviously you can support the government and negotiate without being in a supply and confidence agreement there. In exchange for their support for that bill, they managed to keep that amount at what it was, about 2000 or you know if it dropped it was down to 1600. And they were never able to capitalize in the public discourse on that victory. It was never clear to people that I spoke to on the ground that that was an NDP win. It was just, oh, well, the liberals kept it at that amount. So fast forward two years now, roughly, and the liberals are going to be tabling a pharmacare bill, presumably. Mm -hmm. Presumably, it's the liberals that are tabling a dental care bill. It's the liberals that are tabling stuff like, for example, part of their agreement is uh, turning an election day from one day to three days to give more people the opportunity to vote. The NDP now has to make it clear to people 
in the next election that we did this. This is ours. It doesn't matter if it's the liberals that tabled it. It doesn't matter if it's a liberal government bill. This was our thing. And I'm not entirely sure that voters are going to make or care enough to make that distinction in if the deal lasts until 2025 or whenever the next election is. Mm -hmm. And then kind of flipping to your second question, why didn't they go for the coalition route? So that was my a question that I also posed to Chuck Mead a couple of times in a press conference. And he said he didn't want it. But so uh, some of the insight that I got from NDP insiders later was that the trouble with the coalition government is that when you become part of cabinet and sit at the cabinet table, there is this principle of what you call executive or cabinet solidarity which means that cabinet in itself makes decisions as a whole. Obviously, there's a ton of debate and discussion and lively and yelling and screaming and laughing and crying around the cabinet table when these decisions are made. But once a decision is made, all of cabinet has to get behind it and support it, regardless of how they felt internally. It is this concept of solidarity. And that Jagmeet Singh, would, be, or whoever the NDP might have put on cabinet, would have been forced to basically align themselves with it. It does make criticizing government, now that you're a part of it, much more difficult. But on the flip side, you obviously, by not joining cabinet, well, you forego the power of sitting on essentially what is one of the most you know, powerful institutions in our political system outside of the prime minister's office. So I think that was the battle. And I think part of it is also basically making it clear to your base. And the NDP has a very, very activist base, making it clear that you are not the liberals. You are still the NDP. You are willing to work with the liberals to move on things that are important to you, but you are not the liberals. And I think that that ultimately was, was came through and what won the battle for the NDP when it came to deciding, do we do coalition or do we just do an agreement? Now, obviously there are more than two parties in parliament. What has been the response from the opposition, specifically the bloc and the conservatives? Oh man, it's <laughs> been, uh, you know, when we were talking about toxic and hyper-partisanship <laughs> earlier, they have absolutely lambasted both parties. And I mean, there, there's no reason they wouldn't in the sense that both parties probably feel a little bit like they had the grass cut under their legs. The conservatives have called it all sorts of things from a cabal to a coalition government to a liberal NDP majority. They've criticized it and, and maybe more surprising to some, you know, interim conservative leader Candace Bergen basically said this is a coalition to fight against Canadian oil, gas and LNGs. And that means that basically they're propping up Russia and Putin. A few people balked, I think, at that one. Um, <laughs> but and then on the block side, you know, uh, in the House, they basically said oh, the uh, the liberals just had their own orange wave, which was that, you know, that famous 2011 election result where the NDP wave crashed across Quebec and they ended up being the official opposition. Mm -hmm. You know, they said that, you know, this is a coalition to basically trample provincial jurisdictions. There's a lot of a lot of anger. I think if you look it into it into it a little bit deeper, the conservatives actually might see an opportunity, though, here for two things. A, to prove that, you know, what they've been trying to argue during elections was it's that the liberals are basically socialism light and that them aligning with the NDP like that basically gives them that ammunition to try to go get those like center right voters that might be disenfranchised. One of the real losers here, in fact, is the bloc mm -hmm. for the simple reason that the bloc as a party in Quebec capitalizes on providing support to the federal liberals in exchange for gains for Quebec specifically. You know, and it has to be clear, the agreement that the NDP and the liberals you know, came to 
only guarantees NDP support on confidence bills. So really big bills and confidence motions. So that means that every other bill out there can still be negotiated with the bloc, the NDP or the conservatives. So the bloc isn't completely cut out, but they cannot now go forward and say, well, we'll support your budget bill that you need to get through if you give Quebec more healthcare transfers, for example, or you take Quebec out of any you know national healthcare standards that you want to put in. And so it's a politically savvy move by the liberals who are, you know, have been fighting with the bloc in Quebec for years now, in the sense that they really have removed a pretty crucial negotiation tool from the bloc. And I'm curious to see how this plays out for the bloc Quebecois. Lastly, you raised the idea that the prime minister had done this because of polarization in politics and to provide some stability. But if you look at the reaction and you look at even just where the support fell in terms of the freedom convoy, it's not like the polarization was between the liberals and the NDP. And so bringing these two groups together will all of a sudden lay waste to polarization in Canadian politics. People would argue that Justin Trudeau has moved the liberals to the left. The likes of Candace Bergen and people like leadership candidate Pierre Polyev have moved the conservatives to the right. And so the gap in the polarization is between are two major parties. And this seems to make it worse, doesn't it? Yeah, the idea here was definitely not to address and amend the polarization. It was to find a way to work around it. <laughs> there, If there's one thing, well, there's you know, obviously there's a few things that any prime minister is not good at. But one thing that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is not good at is addressing polarization. And I don't think you'll find anyone in Canada who doesn't think that at some points he does fuel it by, you know, creating that rhetoric of like, oh, well, you know, all anti-vaxxers are racist and misogynistic and stuff like that. He's never been good at dealing with strong and vocal and insulting opposition. Like, you know, for example, the Freedom Convoy would have been. Mm -hmm. There are two solutions, right, to hyperpolarization in the House. And the first one, which is addressing it and trying to, you know, fill those gaps and bridge the differences is possible, but it also involves good faith on all party sides, right? And I'm not saying that any part, one party isn't of good faith, but I think that most good faith and most political capital has been lost between a lot of these parties, especially if you look at Candace Bergen or, for example, Pierre Pauly, every you know, probably every other conservative leadership candidate at this point, they see a value in exploiting that gap, right? Exploiting that division and basically trying to get more voters out of it. So that was one solution. The other solution is, well, you find the people that you align with and you get yourself a don't de facto majority government by agreeing on the principles that, you know, finding the principles that you both agree on and moving forward on those. And that is exactly what Singh and Trudeau say that they did. They said, well, you know, a lot of the House they claim is, is frozen, is paralyzed by all sorts of political maneuvers and just the general disagreement. So let's sit down, let's figure out the crucial policies that are really important to both of us, figure out where we want them to go. And then let's just sign an agreement to move forward on those things to heck with the rest of the house. Mm -hmm. In a sense, that's what it is, right? Yeah. And that's why the bloc and the conservatives are obviously so furious, but I don't think that they're surprised. We'll definitely see how that plays out over the coming months and the years as we get to 2025. Chris, thanks always for your time. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Christopher Nardi. More from him and the rest of our parliamentary bureau at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.